Uh, This morning we're going to continue going through uh, the Gospel of Mark, looking at the life and ministry of Jesus on earth. And this morning uh, we are in uh, Mark chapter 6, verses 30 through 44. Um, We're going to read, but before we do read, we're going to pray that God would use this time for his glory, that he would use it for us to see the person and work of Jesus better than we did before, and that he would be transforming us in his likeness and in faith. Lord God, this morning, as we come every Sunday morning here, we are in deep need of hearing from you. You speak to us by this word. We thank you for that, that we can know you fully as you reveal yourself here in Scripture. But yet we also come needing to be able to hear. We come needing to be uh, having our distractions put aside. We need to have hearts that are, that are open, uh, the barriers brought down, our ears unstopped, all of these things. Till our hearts to receive this word by your Spirit. Father, we pray that your spirit would be present and active among us in this time. We trust that he will. We trust that your spirit would be with the man who's preaching right here. He would do so with passion and with the authority that comes from your word, not his. We pray this in the name of Jesus and that he might become more believable and beautiful to us. Amen. Mark chapter 6, verses 30 through 44. This is the very word of God. Pay careful attention. The apostles returned to Jesus and told him all that they had done and taught. And he said to them, Come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. For many were coming and going, and they had no leisure even to eat. And they went away in the boat to a desolate place by themselves. Now many saw them going and recognized them. And they ran there on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd. And he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. And when it grew late, his disciples came to him and said, This is a desolate place and the hour is now late. Send them away to go into the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But he answered them, You give them something to eat. And they said to him, Shall we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give it to them to eat? And he said to them, How many loaves do you have? Go and see. And when they had found out, they said, Five and two fish. And then he commanded them all to sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups by hundreds and by fifties. And taking the five loaves... And the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing and broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the people. And he divided the two fish among them all. And they all ate and were satisfied. And they took up twelve baskets full of broken pieces and of the fish. And those who ate the loaves were five thousand men. Amen. You've probably seen those optical illusions of a drawn picture that first looks like one image, but then it's also intended to look like another. And so which one is the true image? 
And the wild trick is that when you, the first one that you see is the one that you think about until someone else shows you the other image, the alternate image, and then it changes the way that, or how you look at the whole thing. Maybe you've seen the one where there's the drawing of a duck, but then you see that it's also a rabbit and that the ears of the rabbit are the bill of the duck. And so which is it? Is it a rabbit or is it a duck? Or there's that classic image that of a white chalice on a black background? Or, though, is it actually the silhouette of two faces looking at one another? You look at one image, and then you look at the other, and it changes how you perceive the whole image. And that's what happens when we look at this passage. It's a story that, if you know the Bible, you're probably familiar with. Jesus takes just a few small loaves of bread and a couple fish, and he feeds this enormous crowd. Mark records 5,000 men, but the reality is that it would have been much bigger because counting women and children there too, this crowd could have been upwards of 15,000 people, right? That's like two-thirds of the population of Newburgh. And when we read the story, we rightfully tend to focus upon the miracle itself of the breaking of the bread and fish and the distribution, and we are in awe of it. It's this moment where Jesus miraculously feeds these needy people and he shows who he is. Who else could he be other than the divine son of God as he has revealed himself to be so far? And if we know our Bibles a little bit more, then we think also about the multiple times where the Lord had provided bread miraculously to feed his people, particularly in the wilderness, Happens multiple times in the Old Testament. And here now they are in Mark. They're in a desolate place. They're in a wilderness, as is repeated several times. They go off into a desolate place, a wilderness place. And God, in Jesus, provides bread to his people once again. That's the first image that we see here. But like those illusions, there's also another part. There's an alternate image that once we recognize it, it makes it hard to look at it in the same way that we have before. And that alternate image here is the portrayal of Jesus as a shepherd. Jesus as a shepherd. I mean, first of all, you look at verse 34. Jesus comes to the shore on the boat and he sees all the people who have been waiting for them. And it says that he felt compassion upon them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. He looks upon them with a shepherd's heart, with a desire to care for them, a desire to lead them. And he steps in here to care for their needs, their need of hunger. But all throughout, though, also this passage, if we read with careful eyes, we see other subtle allusions to Psalm 23. Verse 39, Jesus has them sit down in the grass as he feeds them, specifically the green grass. Well, as we heard from Psalm 23 earlier, he makes me lie down in green pastures. And then it says later that you prepare a feast for me. My cup overflows. There's abundance. And here Jesus feeds them with abundance until they are fully satisfied. In verse 42 it says. See, Mark isn't only portraying Jesus as the one who gives the bread of life. He's portraying him also as the shepherd who's tending to his sheep. 
And once we see the perspective of him as a shepherd, it changes how we look at the whole passage. How he regards these people, how he treats his disciples, and this further significance of who he is and why he does all of this in the first place. And so as we listen to this, as you're listening to this this morning, and before we delve further into the goodness of this shepherding Jesus' care, some of us might be thinking, well, that's well and great. Good for you, but I'm not sure that I need a shepherd. In fact, I'm a little offended at the insinuation that I'm a sheep. And I know that sheep aren't the smartest of animals. Maybe you've heard those infamous stories about sheep following one another off even a cliff and they plummet to their deaths, except for the ones who are on top because they land upon their fluffy friends and are, and are uh, cushioned. Being called a sheep, though, is sometimes spoken of pejoratively as someone who's a blind follower, a follower of the crowd. But let's put all that, that aside here for a moment and focus on the shepherd, because that's the main point here. It's illumining our understanding of Jesus as the shepherd. And so what does a shepherd do? A shepherd tends sheep. A shepherd does that by leading and guiding the sheep. And in a sense, then, everyone has a functional shepherd. Whatever it is that provides comfort and direction for your life, it's the person who provides guidance and leadership or the guiding principle that you base your life upon. All of those are functional shepherds. They provide some sort of shepherding role that, that, that it leads you in how you live. But consider this, though. How personal is your functional shepherd? We all want our guidance to be personal to speak to us in some way, to provide personal care. And if the guidance for your life is a principle or a mantra that you live by, no matter how positive it may, se- may seem, it's not a person. How caring can that be? And as, as a principle or a guiding idea like that, it makes its demands upon you, and it won't even care about you. It won't provide the comfort. It won't provide the grace in the inevitably difficult moments. It will crush you. And yet, even for those of us who have, or even those who have people who act as our guidance or our comfort, we have to ask ourselves, how reliable are people? And what is it that's serving as their functional shepherd? So when our shepherds inevitably fail us here, our human shepherds that we think about this, it leaves us ripe for disillusionment. And disillusioned people are lost and they are vulnerable. It's the prime demographic of people who are led off into strange ideas. They are like sheep without a shepherd. Shepherds are supposed to provide care. They're not dictators. They're personal. They get down among the sheep. They get in the dirt and the mud and they care for their sheep. They protect them. And this is who Jesus is. He is the Lord God of Psalm 23 who came down among his sheep, who came among humanity to get his hands dirty, to do his work among us, to protect us in our vulnerability and to lead us through the wilderness places all the way home until we dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And he calls us with a gentle voice, yet a firm voice, and brings scattered sheep without a shepherd together into one flock under his care. 
And so we're going to look at these aspects of Jesus as a shepherd from this passage. How is Jesus acting as a passage as he is caring for his disciples and as he's caring for the 5,000 people here? Well, the first way that Jesus is a shepherd here is that he gives rest to his sheep. Okay? He gives rest to his sheep. If, you, if we come in here from the wider story in Mark, the disciples have been very busy. They've returned from their mission of being sent out by Jesus to minister in his name, which we saw earlier in a few weeks ago in chapter 6, starting in verse 7, when Jesus commissioned and sent out his disciples on his behalf to spread the news of the kingdom. And it involved for them lots of travel, lots of preaching, lots of healing and casting out demons as they were serving as extensions of Jesus Christ to the wider population, bearing witness to the kingdom. And they come back now tired, but I'm sure they also came back excited. The kingdom's been proclaimed and displayed with intense urgency. And they come back to Jesus only to find all these hordes of people who have flocked to him. More people coming, people coming, people going. And the disciples come back tired and the work continues. So much more that they don't even have time to eat. But that's what it means to work for the kingdom, right? It's eternally important and it's urgent. Yet what's Jesus tell them in verse 31? Come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. Take some time off. Have some deliberate rest. Get some refreshment. The work's urgent, but that doesn't mean that you burn yourself out. Despite the vital importance of the mission, Jesus also cares about them. He cares about them enough to give them rest. Jesus is acting as a shepherd in this moment when they're weak and they're tired. Because when we are weak and tired, we're vulnerable. We're vulnerable to lies, to temptations, even to thinking that the kingdom relies upon us and our work. See, servants are also sheep. There aren't two classes of people in the church. It's not those who serve and those who are sheep. We are all sheep. The wondrous thing, though, is that the sheep also serve. And a shepherd's role is to watch over and care for the flock. And that includes giving them rest when it's needed, even when they've spent themselves for the kingdom and it's in service. But wait a second. Isn't that against the urgency of the kingdom's growth? Well, according to whose measure? See, the kingdom doesn't just grow outwards. It doesn't just grow in numbers or in visible expanse or in influence, but it also grows deeper as faith is built and grown into the hearts and lives of people, as the church is strengthened. The walls of the church, the walls of the kingdom, aren't only expanded outwards, they're also shored up and they're strengthened and they're made more beautiful. And Christ's servants, his sheep, are part of the kingdom too. And by partaking in Jesus' rest, the kingdom doesn't stop. It continues to grow because it's the power of Christ, the spirit of Christ, which causes the growth. And it also grows further within us too. See, rest is an act of faith that Christ promises and his kingdom continue despite the time that I'm able to take off. And bearing witness to the kingdom is also to bear witness to the king Jesus isn't a tyrannical king. He's the shepherd king. He's a firm king, but he's a gentle king. 
A king who calls us into following him in the demands of his kingdom. But a king who says that his burden is light. A king who took the heavy yoke of the law upon himself and carries it with us. A king who protects his sheep so fiercely that he gave his very life in their place of the sheep upon the cross. Jesus in John 10 says, I'm the good shepherd and he lays his life down for the sheep so that he might take it up again and give them life. He is a king who protects his sheep so fiercely that he would give himself up for it. He's a shepherd king then who not only gives up his life for the sheep, he gives his sheep rest as they serve him. And rest isn't a matter of efficiency. Do you approach rest as something which cuts into your times of, of productivity? Now, most of us agree that when we take times of rest, we're able to actually further our work efficiency, right? And that's true. But looking at rest only from that perspective shows that the mindset of productivity has seeped into our mindsets and into our ways of thinking a lot more than we'd like to believe. Because when Jesus gives rest as a shepherd, it's not just to renew us to be able to work more efficiently. It's also for us to know him and for us to be refreshed by him. The end goal of receiving his rest isn't to serve better, but it's to know him and it's to commune with him. We give Jesus to the world, but we also need him ourselves. And let's not forget that. Let's cherish him as we serve in his name. When was the last time that you were really able to rest in the care of Jesus? Right To really rest in him, to commune with him, to spend time with him deliberately. Maybe your perspective on Jesus needs an adjustment. He's not your boss. He's not a taskmaster. He's not a tyrant. He's a caring, loving shepherd. But sometimes we think otherwise by, negle- by neglecting restful time in him. And even when we approach his rest as a duty or a law rather than a gift of his gracious care, it shows otherwise. It's his gift to you. Are you neglecting his rest and his shepherding care? Second, Jesus is a a shepherd as he gathers his scattered sheep under his leadership. He gathers his scattered sheep under his leadership. He arrives on the shore here from the boat and he looks at the crowd of people and he looks on them again with compassion as sheep without a shepherd. And what's that mean, sheep without a shepherd? Well, sheep need a shepherd. They need a head over them for their own sake because if they don't have a shepherd, if they don't have a head, then the the flock is doomed. They're lost because they're leaderless. They will wander aimlessly. They won't have anyone to lead them to the waters that they need or into fresh pastures. They're vulnerable without a shepherd. Sheep don't have a whole lot of natural defenses. Predators find it easy to isolate a few and then pick them off. And there's no one to care for them, no one to assist them, no one to clean them, no one to bind up their wounds. And Jesus looks at these people and he sees them like this. Lost, he sees them as vulnerable. He sees them as no one who cares for them. And they were supposed to have had shepherds. They were given teachers. They were given priests who were supposed to be their spiritual guides. But they failed them. 
They took advantage of them. They preyed upon them for their own gain. They didn't act as servants or as shepherds, but as selfish overlords. And so like many people who have been burnt, especially burnt by religious leaders, they needed someone to care for them. They were vulnerable. They were picked off one by one. They were led astray. A couple years ago, a popular podcast came out called The Rise and Fall of Mars, Mars Hill. And if you've not listened to it before, it's a story of, a, of a, a megachurch here in the Pacific Northwest who was led by one shepherd who failed them. A man who was more concerned about his own empire than he was about the sheep that were in his congregation. And almost overnight, the whole church from thousands of people collapsed upon himself because it was supported by one man. And the podcast doesn't just tell that story, but more importantly, it tells the stories of, the, of the, the people who were scattered, the sheep who were scattered, the people who suffered and tried to pick up the pieces in the aftermath. People who were left hurting, people who were left vulnerable, some who held on to hope afterwards, but some who have struggled with the faith and they're telling their real stories, even some who have left the faith altogether. But Jesus, though, has a heart for sheep who are wandering, for these vulnerable sheep. He has compassion upon them. He has a deep, immense compassion and care for them. He doesn't have anger. He doesn't have annoyance. He willingly came to be a shepherd, and that willingness comes from his compassion. A heart of compassion that is willing to get his hands in the muck and to serve them. To, to, get, to seek out the lost sheep and to give them loving security. A heart of compassion that took them to the cross to reconcile lost sheep to God and to one another. He goes out and he sees the flock. He sees the wanderers. He sees the stragglers, the outliers, and he gathers them together. He brings them all into one fold. He brings them into his flock a flock that's united in him. He's keeping his eyes out for the sheep without a shepherd, and he wants and waits to bring them in. Jesus is for wandering, aimless people, for people who are weak in their vulnerabilities, for people who are confused about all of the vexations of life and who they are and who God is. He's for lonely people, those people who are on the outliers, wondering how they fit into this world or how they fit in among others. And he sees them and says, you need a shepherd. I'm going to be your shepherd. And he gathers them together into his fold so that they can be, so that he can be their shepherd and under his care. This is the heart of Jesus. But note, though, also in verse 34, he looks at them and he teaches them. Because what good is it to be brought together a mass of people in confusion? Sometimes confused and vulnerable people come together in solidarity. But if they're not any closer to the answers than they were in the first place, if there's no one to guide them, like how's anything going to get done? Who's going to lead them through the confusion? But Jesus, though, gathers us together and he teaches us. He brings clarity amid our confusion about what God's doing in life about what he's doing in the world, about who I am. Well, Jesus, Jesus by his words, Jesus as we see in his ministry, he leads us to the answers. And as a shepherd then too, he keeps us together. Because sheep tend to scatter. 
And you know what? People tend to scatter. We scatter from the rest, but we don't usually scatter individually. We a lot of times scatter into small groups, into generally people who are like us. And we wander and we separate ourselves and we form these little groups. They're like smaller flocks, micro flocks, but led by whom? See, flocks are inherently stable or unstable because people are inherently unstable. And consider this massive crowd of five, over 5,000 people. How diverse do you think that crowd was? It wasn't some mass of homogenous people. They were as different as people are when they come together. Now, sure, they were all Jewish people, but does that mean that they were all the same? Of course not. It was full of people with various experiences, people from different classes, people with different views on life, on and on. And friends, how much more diverse is the church? It's full not of just Jews, but also Gentiles. It is multicultural. And we look different, we think different, we have different backgrounds or preferences, but you know what? We're all still sheep. And we're all still part of the sheep, or we are still part of the flock of Jesus Christ. And we will inevitably scatter with similar-minded people unless we are united by a shepherd. And Jesus keeps us together in our union in him. The whole flock, the people within it, need to allow him to lead the flock. Him to lead us. And that means keeping our collective eyes upon him and hearing his voice and his leading. He's the center point. And sometimes he may have to physically pull us back into the flock or use his rod to get, a, to get our attention, but it's all for our good. And third, a third way that we see about Jesus as a caring shepherd is that he feeds his sheep. He feeds his sheep. It's probably the most obvious one that we see here. <clears throat> but he feeds his sheep. A caring shepherd makes sure that his Sheep are fed and taken care of. And Jesus is no different. He looks at them in their hunger. He looks at them in their need. And he knows that they need food. But he's also unwilling to send them away hungry and on their own. And instead, what he does is he provides food for them miraculously. He sits them down in the green grass. Just like in Psalm 23. And there in green pastures, he prepares a meal for them. He takes the bread and fish and he breaks it over and over and eventually everyone is fed by this divinely given food. See, in a way, Jesus is displaying that he is the good shepherd from Psalm 23. And who else is the shepherd in Psalm 23 than the Lord God himself? I mean, we can think about it this way. The Lord Jesus is my shepherd. In him I shall not want. He, Jesus, makes me lie down Besides still waters. He leads me even through the valley of the shadow of death's deep darkness. And he is beside me. With him I will fear no evil. He comforts me. And he will lead me all the way home where I will dwell with him in the house of the Lord forever. And all along the way he feeds me. He prepares a table for me. I will feast in his house and I will not go hungry along the way. Now, have you ever considered the significance of hunger? It's not quite noon yet. Maybe some of you are thinking about hunger right now. 
but not just the sort of like snackish hunger, not the hunger when you think like, I'm like, like a little bit of a snack here. I mean that deep gnawing hunger where you've worked up an appetite, right? where you haven't eaten all day. Hunger significant, not only in that it's the physical feeding of our bodies, it's the, 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 the feeling that our, our bodies need refueled, but it's also theologically significant. Because every time your stomach growls, every time you feel those hunger pangs, it's a reminder that God has made you a finite person. We require energy. We require uh, sustenance. We are not self-sustaining people. We are needy and dependent creatures. And hunger is only part of it here. This isn't just about food. It's about our very existence We are in need of being filled. We need sustained, but from another. We need sustenance from someone outside of us. In fact, all of our neediness and all of our dependence can really be summarized by our hunger. So when Jesus looks out and he sees these hungry sheep, his compassion goes much more further than just merely his desire for them to be fed, but he's desiring his for them to be filled and sustained and his adequacy to be that which sustains him or sustains them. And yet Jesus doesn't just give them enough food to quell their hunger or give them a boost. He fills their needs. He gives them an abundance. He provides a feast for them. Verse 42, it says, They ate until they were satisfied, until they could eat no more, and there was still more than enough. Each of the, of the 12 disciples brings back a large basket that would have been yay high, like a laundry basket full of all the scraps and leftovers. Eating until being satisfied. Now, it may not be something that, that we are always accustomed to because food's relatively easy to come by here. And some people suffer want or they go hungry. Maybe some of you have. But as a society, the majority of us don't actually go truly hungry. But others throughout the world have, and others throughout history do, or or, others throughout history have, and others throughout the world do. And for many, food is a scarcity. And for these people here, the economy revolved around food production. And so eating to the point of fullness wasn't a given. Sometimes it would have just been eating a little bit to quell that hunger and sustain them for a little bit longer. But here, though, Jesus gives them more than enough abundance, more than enough to go around. Everyone eats until they're satisfied, until they're full, and they can eat no more. And still there's enough leftovers for everyone. See, Jesus is displaying the abundance of his satisfaction and his filling All of our needs can be surmised in this most basic fact of eating. And he provides all of it. An abundance, more than we could partake of. My friends, how often do you come to feed from Christ like this? To be fed from him and to partake in his abundance and to have your needs fulfilled in him. And I'm talking about coming to him and really gorging yourself. We're content to snack a little bit here and there from Jesus. But how about coming away from him full and satisfied? Like coming to him as we do a really good meal, one that we look forward to and we can't wait to try all the things. Back in Santa Rosa, Alyssa and I had a favorite restaurant there, one that we would only go to uh, uh, on special occasions, so we didn't go too often. 
not that we don't have many special occasions in our lives, but it was also, uh, it, it was something we had to have, we didn't take the kids to. It was a steakhouse and it was worth it because we would, we would go there and we would just sit and smile as we ate. We were so happy. Like it, we were almost giggling with delight at times, laughing in all of the richness of this food. Oh, and the butter just dripping off of everything. Like your arteries are hardening just thinking about it. But we savored it all, right? We had to try everything. We had to share it with one another. We had to describe the tastes and textures with one another. You couldn't just sit and eat in silence. There had to be this like visible, uh, verbal delight as we were eating with each other there. And then, of course, looking at the dessert menu, And Jesus gives us a feast like this in him. A feast that we can never grow tired of. A feast that we delight in. A feast that we must share with others and savor with one another. And to come away from him full of richness and fattiness. Satisfaction from him. And here's the thing. Satisfaction even in the wilderness in the desolate places like where these people were. Satisfaction even in the presence of our enemies, like Psalm 23 says, when it says, I, you prepare a table for me in the presence of my enemies. It's a satisfaction that goes beyond the contentedness of our situations in life. A satisfaction that even among difficulty and evil, we have Jesus. And he is enough to satisfy me. And someday I will be eternally satisfied in his house forever. Because I will be feasting with Jesus. Feasting with the best food. With the best host. My shepherd. Do you know what that feels like? Have you experienced that? Like what have you been looking for to find delight and satisfaction in? Spend some time reading about Jesus, meditating on him, doing so in conversation with others, especially people who have gained a good palate for Jesus over the years. Sometimes it takes having to have someone else teach you how to properly taste something and to recognize the tastes and savor the textures. Don't come or don't content yourself with just a few nibbles here and there of what he gives. Don't settle for a happy meal. Come and taste. Come and find communion with the living God. So Jesus, as the shepherd, feeds us along the journey to the house of the Lord, to a place with supreme and eternal satisfaction because he is there. And along the way, even as we find ourselves in the desolate places, He nourishes us. He gives bread to strengthen our footsteps as we walk. The bread of life. The bread of his very self. He also gives us wine. Wine being a drink of joy to be received with gladness. And the food and drink that he gives us is his very being. His body. His blood. The bread of himself to sustain us as he gave himself on the cross as our shepherd. The cup that he gives us of his blood. The cup of his covenant promise that his blood was shed to atone for our sins. And as a sign of his promise that we will drink with him at his eternal table someday. And we come shortly to the meal of the shepherd king. Who gives us rest. And who cares for us. And who gives us life with his very life. Let's pray. Lord God. 
satisfy our desires, satisfy our needs as sheep in Jesus Christ. So many times we go to other things and try to seek satisfaction from there. So many times we come to Jesus and just pick and nibble. But Lord, satisfy all of our cravings, all of who we are with the abundance of Jesus Christ. We need him. Don't let us settle for anything else. Don't let us settle for idols. But rather, let us see his goodness as a shepherd to us. And let us respond to his call to come under his care and to continue to keep our eyes upon him and follow his leading even through the dark places, even through the wilderness. Lord, let us partake in the rest that he gives. Let's not neglect it. As we are serving, we need rest. And we need Jesus even as we go and serve. And prepare us now as we come to the table of our shepherd king and as we eat from him. In Jesus' name, amen.